0: From the Institute of Higher Thinking, this is Literally. It's a podcast. Welcome to Literally, the podcast where great writing meets guilty pleasure. I'm your host, Scott Garner. After 19 episodes of book, movie, television, and pop culture reviews, this podcast has spent the last year in silence. Not really our style. We now return with 12 straight days of reviews by Literally's co-host, my partner, Crystal DeLaRentis. And since it's the holiday season, we couldn't resist calling it the 12 Days of Crystal. Today, Crystal and I will discuss one of the books on her list. Spoiler alert, she liked them all. As much as this is a return to podcasting for us, it's also an excellent chance for our five faithful listeners to find a gem to give to the book lover on their holiday list. Or, if you're only now listening to the podcast in July, it's a fine list of suggestions for beach books. We have you covered. Here's a little bonus you get in today's episode. If you listen closely, you can hear my son and his best friend playing in the background. I promise no children were hurt badly in the recording of this episode. It's the ninth day of Crystal, and if you haven't gotten the hot gift for your kid at this point, yeah, Amazon's your best bet because you're not going to find it on the shelves.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could always just recycle a gift, you know, get that old Tickle Me Elmo, pull the fur off, be like, ah, new gift, look. Oh, yeah. It's totally different. Totally different and and horrifying. (laughs)
0: Yeah. All right.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, your kids get older. They're just not into cute things anymore. Yeah,
0: no. (laughs) Speaking of totally different, we are doing (laughs) Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. Yes, we are. Today. And that is a book that's quite different. And when- It was first announced they were going to make it into a movie. A lot of people went, yeah, good luck with that.
1: And then the Wachowskis showed up.
0: And they made a movie out of it, which I've seen. I've I've seen it too. I've not read the book. I have have the book and I've read excerpts of it, but I've not read the whole book.
1: I read the book after I saw the movie, but I did, um, you know, I read up about the book before the movie came out, Mm -hmm. which was probably the only reason I went to see it because I wanted to see how they dealt. With the way he structured the book,
0: right, um,
1: and I think for what they were going for, they did really well at, at making that work.
0: Let's go ahead and give people kind of an overview. It's 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 hard to spoil to spoil the book because there's there's not a lot of huge twists and turns in the plot. It's,
1: no, and and it's the way more... it's structured, there's different sections with essentially different stories anyway. Right. Um basically uh you will start reading the book and be uh reading about um who the name of the character is totally blanking on me but if you've seen the movie he's the one that's uh on the boat All right and traveling back to San Francisco um it starts off with his journal and you're you read up until it just sort of stops abruptly and it start then you start the section that's about um the musician. And at some point it gets, there's the reference made to, he's reading this journal by this guy who's traveling across the Pacific. And then his story sort of stops in the middle and then you get to hear about um, Louisa Ray, and one of the characters from the previous story pops up to sort of connect those two. Right. And then you have that stop in the middle. And then you get to the Timothy Cavendish story where he sent a script of a Louisa Ray or not a script, I should say like a a manuscript of a Louisa, Louisa Ray mystery novel. (laughs) And then his story stops in the middle (laughs) and you get a story of Somni who lives in this futuristic, um, Korea, South Korea, I think, um, And she's being questioned um, before her execution. And she's telling the story of what happened to her. And then that stops in the middle. And then you get another story that deals with a man named Zachary who lives in what is a futuristic version of Hawaii. And it's totally written with like a pigeon sort of tongue. Mm -hmm. Um, Which once you get started reading it, it does make sense. Um, It's kind of got that same familiar rhythm that you, if you've read Huckleberry Finn. Right. um, You should pick up on that. But you get that story completely. And then once you finish that, it goes backwards with with each story so that you get the end of those stories.
0: Right. Yeah, in the movie, they threaded it, Differently yeah. in the sense that they, they cut it into many more segments and kind of jumped out. And they around overlapped a lot more. Yeah. They overlapped. And and one of the cool things they did in the movie I thought that 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 made a lot of sense was they used the same actor to portray different characters, which kind of gave you a visual clue to
1: Well, and the and the idea too is that um and, and you get this a little bit from the book as well, is that there's a connection between the main characters, right that they are sort of um, the, the idea of like they're a reincarnated soul,
0: yeah, exactly. And,
1: and the way they do that with the movie is with like a little visual prompt, which also kind of gets used in in the book, although it's one of the Zachary character is actually different from right. in the book.
0: Yeah. Well, that's another one that's that's on the giant to read pile that I have, and for a lot of the same reasons. I did enjoy the movie. I thought the movie was pretty well done. It was long. It's a long, long movie, and like a lot of the Wachowski stuff, it was real visually pretty, but every now and then you scratched your head about some of the decisions they'd made, um, but that's that's what they do, mm-hmm. and that's how they they have a vision, and they kind of interpret it their way, and... Hey, more power to them. Mm-hmm. But the, I did, it did make me want to go back and read the book and see what I thought about it and kind of help me, help inform me on their decisions.
1: Well, I, I feel like um, it's a completely different experience than watching the film, for yeah. one thing. Um, and it's the thing that was re- really interesting in the book to me was the fact that for each of those sections, his writing style was completely different, mm-hmm. but completely pertinent to whatever time period, especially with the, I mean, okay, I, I don't know how people are going to talk in like a futuristic soul, but at least with, um, you know, the, the 1700s, like, and, and you know, pre-World War II, like all of that language was well, spot and I'm all, on. I'm
0: always fan of an author that does something to make up a dialect in some way, but still make it relatable to, you but know. it's not
1: even the dialect. It, it's, it's, the way he's writing yeah. it. Yeah. Like he writes in the style that's appropriate for those time periods. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the way the prose, the way things are described. It's not just the dialogue. And it's just, that's actually really impressive to me. Like that's the most impressive part of the book.
0: It'd be interesting to know how much he wrote of each story. If he wrote each story almost completely and then threaded them together. Or if he wrote them... I mean, that's, I, I'll have not, to go, but I'm going to have to go back now and, and take a look at that and see.
1: Well, I did, Um, I, I remember looking at a few things online where um, people had discussed the the inconsistency with the the main character being the same person. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ones that people have an issue with is Timothy Cavendish, because it doesn't seem like he really offers anything in terms of like a, a personality shift in any particular direction and my takeaway with reading the sections where he's the narrator he strikes me as an unreliable narrator he really builds himself up to be someone that he isn't and I think the movie does a better job of exposing that Mm -hmm. because he's very oblivious in the book like stuff happens and you're like dude, that is not, you are reading the situation completely wrong, (laughs) you know? And and it's easier to see, I think, in the the movie, of course, because, you know, you're getting the visual cues that you're not necessarily getting in the book. But I felt like because of that, maybe his section wasn't as important to the other ones, at least in terms of figuring out what, what is supposed to be They're working towards, I guess.
0: But it's still an amazingly ambitious concept. Yes. And it's it's a writer doing a little showing off.
1: (laughs) A lot of showing off. A lot.
0: All right. Uh, Tomorrow, the tenth day of Christmas, we're going to do the utterly uninteresting and unadventurous tales of Fred the Vampire Accountant by Drew Hayes. Yes. All right.
1: It's a big, long title.
0: Perhaps everything you need to know about at least the plot.
1: Yep, pretty much.
0: (laughs) All right. We will see you guys tomorrow with that one. And so from the Institute of Higher Thinking, that's it for this episode of Literally. Be sure and check us out at our webpage, literallyapodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, where we are Literally A Podcast. Yeah, you can't get much more simple than that. On Twitter, we are at LAPCTwits. Over the next few months, we're going to be looking to grow and evolve literally. So if you'd like to be part of that on a volunteer basis, because we can't afford to pay anybody... Um, let us know, perhaps you'd like to be a contributor or help out maybe with some of the audio side of things. Uh, drop a line on our Facebook page where you can reach me at scott at literallyapodcast.com.